And welcome to this episode of 1202 The Human Factors Podcast with me, your host, Barry Kirby. Exciting news, we're looking at merch. And I've had a number of people asking about 1202 branded merchandise. And whilst I don't really expect millions of t-shirts or hoodies or anything to fly off the shelf, we've had an initial exploration with our friends at B Creations in Gloucester. And we now have a couple of t-shirts and a hoodie. Look, this is my hoodie, if you can see it. For those of you looking at the uh, YouTube version, you'll see we are playing with it to see what, it, what it's going to do and what it's going to look like. Additionally, we now have a mascot. We have a red dragon that you can hopefully see over my shoulder. Well, this podcast is based in Wales, so you've clearly got to have a dragon for these things. And But currently they're unnamed. So check out our social media feeds to see some of the current suggestions and perhaps submit your name suggestions of, uh, of what they could be called. The next step is to look at how we sell this stuff online. So if any of you have any suggestions or recommendations or experience of doing so, then I'm not proud. Please give me a shout and let me know what you, how you think we should be um, um, doing this sort of sales stuff online. Um, maybe that is my Christmas project. Speaking of Christmas, this episode is the penultimate of 2021. How scary is that just how quickly this year has gone by? The final episode of this year is going to be as podcast review, and I'm inviting a previous guest to have a glass of mulled wine, a mince pie, and a blather about previous episodes, with a view to helping uh, to pull out our favourites from the back catalogue and coming out with our favourites. So keep an eye out for the twi- uh, on the 1202 social media feeds for those details. Anyway, back to this episode. It's that time of year, and I don't just mean the panic of realising it's only a few weeks till Christmas, and that there is present shopping to be done, meals to be organised, and all of that stuff. Now, I mean, it's come to the year end and the stark realisation that your CPD returns are due by the end of December. I have to admit, I'm normally really on the ball with this, uh, with my CPD, but this year I've left it quite to the last minute, more so than I usually do, and I'm really in the need of some guidance and inspiration. Therefore, I'm really pleased to have a fantastic guest here today to give us some insights into not only continuing professional development or CPD, but the wider perspective of the professional affairs and professional affairs board at the CIHF, and that is the co-chair of the professional affairs board, Fiona Kaiser. Let me try and do some magic here. Here we go. Hello, Fiona. Hello, how are you? I'm better now that I've realised that that bit of screen stuff worked. For those of you (laughs) who are on the audio feed, you won't get, but because we try and do the YouTube feed as well, then I've been doing some fancy stuff about people, uh, bringing people in and stuff. And so Fiona was my first uh, willing, unwilling victim. So great to have you with us, Fiona. And thank you for, for taking the time. Um, before we get stuck into this idea of, of CPD and professional affairs, uh, I'd like to find out a bit more about you and let everybody else know about just really quite how awesome you are. So <laughs> your job title is Human Factors Discipline Head and Technical Specialist at BA Systems. That's a mouthful. What, what's that mean? What do you do? Yeah, it is a mouthful and it's only half of my role, believe it or not. So um, Discipline Head really means looking after all the staff that we've got, all the human factors practitioners, and really making sure that we have SQUEP, so suitably qualified and experienced people on the team. Um, Because we work a bit like an internal consultancy, I've got to make sure I've got the right people with the right skills so that I can send them off um, into the projects that have the demand for them. So um, that's one part of it. And the other part is really looking at existing projects and how they're applying human factors and and really having that governance oversight um, to make sure they're using the right sort of people, the right processes and the right tools. 
And then the other half of my job, which is fairly new to me, is um, as operations manager. So effectively, um, I now also run the human factors consultancy inside the air part of BAE systems. Um, and that's got all the usual stuff of, you know, project control, financial control, having a whole team of about 25 people just going off and doing fantastic human factors type work on all things air. I like how you're selling all that management stuff with with real bazaars. It's it's you've got way more enthusiasm for it than 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 I can have. But that so that that presumably keeps your days really busy. Then if you've got like basically wearing so many hats, it is manic. So presumably, right at the beginning of your um, uh, of your human factors path, you weren't necessarily thinking about doing all of the stuff you're doing now. Why did you get? How did you get into human factors in the first place? What what got you there? So actually, I'm a scientist by training. I didn't even really know or understand how to spell the word engineering. So I went to university in Edinburgh and I studied biological sciences. So that was a Bachelor of Science, Um, mainly because I didn't know what I wanted to do, believe it or not. (laughs) No no idea. And you're like, biology, Um, I quite fancied being a vet, but I really wasn't clever enough for that. Um, So I did a fairly generic degree. Um, but that is what introduced me into human factors or ergonomics. Um, and I actually did a year out with the Army Personnel Research Establishment down in Farnborough, mm-hmm. kind of early 90s. Um, and that's where I fell in love with human factors of complex systems, really. Um, once I graduated, I realized that that first degree didn't actually qualify me for a human factors job. Right. I was really gutted. Um, so I took myself off to Birmingham and I studied an MSc in human factors. Um, and there I was introduced to nuclear power plants and how complicated they were and all the human factors issues that, that sit around there. Um, and from there, for some reason, I decided to stay and do a PhD. Right. So I had no okay. intention. My mind was never, I'm going to do a PhD, but it was so fascinating and I had real world application that I thought, do you know what? If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I stayed and I did my PhD at Birmingham. Um, and then much to my father's delight, who always wanted me to get a proper job, as he called it, um, I found BAE. And that's where it, it starts and hasn't ended yet, thankfully. Wow. So you've, you've actually done that, almost that golden thing of found almost that perfect job and been able to uh, to stick at it. That That's pretty awesome. And so, I think that the reason is every day is different. No yeah. two days are the same. And there's so many air products that, you know, you get lots of different opportunities to lo- do lots of different things. I was going to say, is there, is there a couple of examples of like, sort of, I know a lot of the projects you've been uh, involved with are really interesting, but there's also a lot of projects you can't really talk about. But is there some, is there some notable exceptions to that? Is there some things that really stick in your mind and think that they, they were really, really cool to, to, cool to work on? Yeah, so I think one that I can definitely talk about, um, which is for a sad reason, but a good reason, um, I was really brought up and, and bred on Nimrod. Mm-hmm. So the Nimrod MRA4 replacement, um, that's really what I started on in the company. And I spent sort of, sort of 12 years maybe of my life on that. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I almost took it from the end of the design phase um, through all of the testing. And we were almost at the final qualification certification. Um, and then a bad thing happened and uh, it, it was taken off. But that's probably one of my highlights Um some of the other highlights has probably been on some of the unmanned or uncrewed, sorry, it's uncrewed now, <laughs> yes. not manned. Yeah. 
um, projects that I've worked on. So again, that was a bit more researchy. The Astrea project is one of the ones that's fairly well known. Um, I won't bore you with what the acronym means, but um, <laughs> you know that was kind of the first um, introduction for me into what do you mean you've taken the person out of the aircraft? How on earth are they meant to operate this aircraft that's flying around in the sky? Um, and all the human factors challenges that kind of sit around that. So I probably did that for about eight years, all in all. Um, so I, I've done quite a nice balance of manned, sorry, crewed and uncrewed <laughs> aircraft. It's amazing how the, the terminology changes where we all know what we mean, but then um, it goes through evolutions, doesn't it? It's oh, um, Yeah, it's crazy. And I never managed to say crude or uncrude specifically. I always accidentally add an extra letter back. <laughs> <laughs> and I think one of the things, having been to, um, you know, meetings with yourself and um, worked on the on the same site, it must, it must be a really cool thing to keep on um, seeing uh, the aircraft all the time because you you really got that really close connection, haven't you? You've you, you've got a runway, you've got well, not your own personal runway, but obviously the uh, the site has a <laughs> runway, um, and you've got real close. Um, you know, pilots are there and and things like that. It it must give you a real sense of fulfilment to almost see you've got that entire end to end right on your doorstep. Absolutely. So it gives you that connection with the product. Mm. You know, something as complicated as an aircraft, you could probably work on it without ever seeing it, but we're reminded, well, we were reminded day in, day out, or if seeing it taken off at lunchtime, quite often they'd practice their air show routines. So it was a real connection. You could feel it, you could smell it, you know, you could see it, um, which makes a big difference. And obviously we've not been on site now for, well, nearly two years, yeah. I hate to say it. And, you know, that's a big chunk that's missing from our daily connection and we've got some people now in the team that we've never met or never even they've never seen our products it's really hard yeah i mean that does bring us on to um uh, a really good really good point actually these you know we've had this pandemic uh, it's it's been there now for like as you say um, um 24 months how have you found that have you sort of coped been able to do you know the day job have you been able to do your day job yeah thankfully um the company was pretty quick uh, sorting out laptops and IT and all the rest of it. So all of our staff are working from home. We didn't have to furlough anybody, which is amazing. Um, ups and downs. Mm -hmm. So when we first started working from home, I was also homeschooling the children. <laughs> yes. I don't need to say any more on that. Um, that also drove us to improve our broadband connection. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I would say... I like having the flexibility of being at home and, you know, being able to prepare dinner or put the washing in the machine or answer the door. Um, but the people side of things has, has been a real negative for me. I'm, I'm a real people person and obviously trying to manage a, a team of people where, you know, you're all remote. You don't generally get to see them at all. Um, actually looking after their well-being is, is hard and sometimes, you know, welcoming new members of the team in when you can't actually sit down and show them an aircraft or show them a simulator that's been that's been the toughest i think mm -hmm. um but we are starting i think to to see a turnaround so today i've been on site for two days mm -hmm. and we've got what the company called link facilities where we can sort of block book rooms or desks for people where you can go on and work on site as um, a hybrid worker they're calling some of us which right. is much better, really good. Yes, it's it's certainly um, 
been insightful in many ways of, of seeing how, as you say, like some companies can move really quickly. It's amazing how some things seem to take forever and then suddenly when there's a real need, oh, it, it's there overnight. Uh, yeah. So I wonder whether there's, there's certain organisations going to find um, that, almost, not come back to bite them, but to say, well, actually, you could move really quickly then. Why can't we get this sort of stuff done now? Um, have you learned anything about yourself um, during this whole COVID, about having to work from home or... Um, or, any, or anything like that or yeah I mean I always knew I was a bit of a workaholic but um because now it's always there mm. it's literally like 10 steps away I've got to really um be conscious of that um on a non-work side I've realized I've become really anal about how you load the dishwasher <laughs> it drives me mad so you know i if you pack it efficiently you can do a lot of washing um so yeah i, I quite often find myself unloading and repacking just to put it on well that sounds like a row we have uh, back here as well so um no that that's brilliant um we're just going to take a really quick break and then we'll get back into the actual role of the professional affairs so we'll be right back you are listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. We wanted to take the opportunity to say thank you for your support. You can help further by rating us through your podcast provider, sharing us through social media, and telling your friends and colleagues. Let's work together in raising awareness of the value in putting users at the center of what we do. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And so now we, we're here with Fiona and we're going to get stuck into now the idea of um, what do professional affairs do and particularly around CPD. So I guess let's start from the top. What is the Professional Affairs Board? What does it actually do? What's it about? So the Professional Affairs Board is a body of about 12 volunteers um, and we are there really to look after everything people for the Chartered Institute. Um, so we look at things like professional membership and how to make the different routes to the different types of membership the most efficient, um, hopefully um, the most transparent that we possibly can. So to make that journey to membership as easy as possible. Um, we also accredit courses. So whether those are short course, courses, um, like vocational courses, or they're part of a much wider sort of educational package. So we've got new things called learning pathways that a lot of companies are now starting to establish. And that obviously helps people get um, accredited as well with the society. Um, we also look at CPD, uh, as you quite rightly point out. So um, really making sure that our chartered members are continuing to develop um, year on and uh, just really to make sure that our whole we're supporting people understanding what they could do for CPD and um, what sorts of things we look for. We don't assess everyone's application of CPD. We kind of take a bit of a snapshot, and uh, we we just make sure that that's that chartered label um, is kind of used properly, and that you know people who are deserving of it can maintain it and, and carry it on throughout the year. Cool. So. We'll dive into CPD in, in, in a bit more detail, but you mentioned the, the learning pathways. That might be mm. a new phrase to some people. What, what, what is a learning pathway? So they're more vocational courses. Um, really, the, all the people get a number of modules that they have to uh, complete. And really, the learning pathway is helping them 
it's a little bit like an apprenticeship and I might get shot for saying that, but really (laughs) get that that kind of um, opportunity to apply what you're learning in a real work context. So we're really looking for um, industry to take some of their, um, well, engineers in our case, but, you know, through this learning um, pathway or through this kind of educational channel um, to get them qualified and also to then um, show them the, the route through to being a chartered ergonomist or a chartered human factor specialist. Cool. And you're, as I said from the top, you're, you're co-chair. So what, what's your responsibility as, as co-chair? What, what's, your, what's your day-to-day involved in, in that role? Yeah, so myself and Barbara Howard, who, who I co-chair with, um, we run four meetings a year for the PAB uh, and that's where we come together and we uh, discuss topical issues. Um, We have what we call a plan on a page for the year. So we decide um, at the beginning of the year what we're gonna focus on for that that year. And um, we kind of give other parts of the CIHF visibility of that. And we typically choose a topic per meeting to try to progress something. So that might be um, how to mentor you know, can we create some guidance for mentors or mentees? Um, we do things like making the assessment process as transparent as we possibly can. In terms of CPD then, uh, let's, let's get into, stuck into the CPD. What is continuing professional development? What is, you know, why, why is it there? What's it about? CPD is really there to make sure that we don't stagnate as uh, human factors practitioners or professionals uh, and really making sure that we are continuing to be aware of what's out there in the real world and continuing to perhaps um, either improve our processes or use different tools uh, and really just try to keep our professionals kind of current um, and and making sure that um, if there are advances in science or technology that we are we kind of keep up to date really and we're not still trying to apply tools or techniques that were are several decades old if there's something better so that's really what it's about just keep learning keep your skills up to date uh, and really try to better the profession I guess yeah so for CBD through the CIHF, obviously different organisations will do CBD in their own sort of way. Mm. Um, we're lucky we have a, 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 an online portal where we can put our entries and things like that. But what is the what's the minimum requirement? What what is if I was trying to trying to get through by the skin of my teeth because I haven't been as good this year <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest? What's the minimum What's the minimum number of entries I can get away with? Yeah, so to maintain your chartership, which is what CPD is all about, you have to demonstrate five entries from the previous 12 months and um, looking forward you have to uh, say you have to give some examples of three things that you're going to try to achieve Uh, and in each of those things it's really important to say what you've done um, what you've learned and how it's helped you as a a professional Uh, and that can be anything it can be something from reading a journal paper um, attending the webinars and certainly the pandemic has given us a a whole host of (laughs) webinars that we never knew possible Um, you know writing a paper it could just be volunteering on a group so really anything goes anything that kind of helps you keep current is fine so it's five behind and three in front and just to add to that, you can also listen to a podcast as well. If there happens to be any po- podcasts out there that happen to be focused on human factors, I, I don't know if they exist. Um, and they're awesome. <laughs> um, so you mentioned about uh, so five entries. That's cool. So what? And you you sort of briefly uh, went over the um, 
some of the contents, but what does a good CPD entry look like? Am I look, you know, can I get away with like dashing off a couple of lines or, you know, what, what sort of content are we looking for? Really, it's probably about, I don't know, maybe um, half a page worth of, if I was trying to quantify it, mm. but really focusing on what you did. Um, and the important bits are what you've learned and how it's helped you. Um, so, you know, you can, you can, talk about a technique for example and how you've then gone on to apply it um, another really good tip is to link them to the professional um, checklist the competency checklist um, so you can see you know which of the competencies do you think this has helped you with and why that's a really powerful thing to do so yeah don't don't just write a couple of lines Barry just you just be a bit more explicit about how it's helped You've clearly seen some of my CPD entries for this year already. Um, but on that point of competencies, it is worth just highlighting that every single episode now, if you go onto the 1202 website, is now every single uh, is linked to a competence. So in theory, if, you, if you're if you seeing yourself as a bit shy on, on some elements, you can go there and, and there is bound to be an episode, at least one, um, there that's good for you. Um, but yeah, enough of the self-promotion. Um, so we... I, I will do my CPD and I'll do it. I promise, um, and and get and get it all there and and get it there. Once I submit it, so I'm going to submit it and I will submit it before the third, uh, before the end of December, um, maybe a couple of days before. I do find that writing CPD and once you've had, had a couple of glasses of wine, it makes it flow a bit easier. But I'm not recommending that for obvious reasons. Once we submit it, what happens to it then? Where, where it goes into some um, some black hole and then uh, where, what happens? It gets sucked into the ether, you're right, and um, that actually happens automatically now. So um, that's a good thing, but also a bad thing. So you don't actually have to press submit, um, but it will take whatever you have put in there already. As you say, it's an online tool. Um, and that gets sucked into the CIHF um, ether. And um, at the beginning of the year, um, we automatically select um, a 20% random sample oh. of them, which we assess. Uh, and again, really just making sure that the quality is there and um, the sorts of things people are writing are there. And um, that's kind of for two reasons. One is to make sure that we are getting the sort of quality of CPD we would like, but um, equally it's so that we can improve our guidance for people who might be doing their CPD for the first time, for example. So we, we do have some examples on um, the website that kind of are, what does good look like, if that makes sense? Um, so we do have some of those, and, and really we're trying to help people um, succeed. Okay, so from that that perspective, then you, because you, I know you've got a, an army of volunteers um, who help do um, do the do the CPD review, um, and then not everybody will will make the standard. So some people will be judged as um, you need to do a bit more. Is that mm -hmm. it? Do, do you basically just lose your chartership there and then, or is is there is there a, 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 re, a chance to reflect and review? Yeah, we're we're not that harsh. Well. <laughs> so we, we do um, we do give feedback um, to people who maybe haven't quite made the mark, and that might be simply um, they've only submitted four entries instead of five for the previous year or it may be that they haven't really reflected on what they've learned um, as much as we might like them to um, as I say it's not an essay you have to write just be clear and concise um, so people get another bite at the cherry um, and they get the opportunity then um, to resubmit effectively on those things that that could be improved okay um when people are when these are being assessed um is it just 
like I say, it's, it's reviewed um, by by uh, one of your helpers. Is it just their opinion, or you know, is is it just go, is it just one one person's opinion about whether your CPD is good enough, or is there an element of I guess I don't know verification or um, review in that that respect? Yeah, so we get um, two assessors to review each entry, um, and assuming that they they agree, then that's either you know an automatic accept or, or not. Um, where we've got some discrepancies, then we quite often get a third assessor involved to, to kind of iron out the the kind of the differences, I suppose if that's the right word. So yeah, we we do try to make it as fair um, as possible. And I'm not saying this for many personal um fear but not everybody likes me um what happens if somebody picks up my cpd and they and they just don't like me and they just want to um give me a a, a bit of a beating is that possible can that can they do that very unlikely so it's all anonymous you're okay. you're a number at the end of the day um and unless somebody knows explicitly what you do what cpd you've done over the course <laughs> of the year you are just a number i'm afraid <laughs> until that I'm result not a is number. Kind of <laughs> i'm a real boy <laughs> so cool i mean you being in the role that you've that you're in you will no doubt have done some make sure your cpd is tip top um, already and no last minute panics. Well, <laughs> how have you found doing your CPD sort of with, with the with the pandemic and stuff going on? Have you uh, what sort of th- things have you been getting up to? Yeah, so it's been I think really different um, over the pandemic compared to what I would traditionally have got involved in. Um, I think the volume of webinars that are freely available is just phenomenal at the moment. Um, you know, and that's that's all over the place. So. It, and I, I really have liked um, almost being able to sit with my, my cup of tea, you know, and uh, go join conferences. Um, I've never really presented virtually before, and I've done that quite a lot. So that's kind of a new experience. Um, I do miss the kind of the people interaction side of things and, and being able to discuss stuff over coffee. But I actually think I've done more of a varied role you know in terms of the cpd i've done this year than i might have ever done um i've probably been to more conferences again because of the virtual nature um i've been able to fit it into the day job and they've been a lot cheaper yes and you've been able to you know the not having to travel and and all that sort of stuff so and also maybe just having you know some of the webinars on in the background whilst you've been yeah. you know working and being able to sort of dip over to mm-hmm. it, I think all of that has been um, hugely beneficial. Um, but you're right, there's an element I can't wait to fingers crossed and toes crossed and everything that next year's conference um, the live element go, I mean goes ahead um, because I, there is I have really missed sort of just being able to like chew the fat in the bar that type of thing and, and and meet people yeah. so. Um, yeah, I, I I do kind and of think networking that, as well, isn't it? The yeah. whole ability to network. Um, that's one thing we found at work. You've got new people in your team, and they have no opportunity to network. Yes, because you uh, can take them to conferences. Yeah, um, and and just yeah, just generally get that whole. I mean, I guess it sounds a real thing to say because we are you know we human factors people. We're clearly in this because of um, you know wanting to engage with people. But mm. yeah, they're just even just doing this as, as virtually as, as we are, it's still not the same as um, mm. getting that full reader body language and stuff. Um, what's been the weirdest CPD that you've recorded, do you think? <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, 
so I was talking about the the Nimrod MRA4 program mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. Uh, so I think probably the weirdest thing was learning how to evacuate um, when it ditched on water. So we did it in a simulator. There wasn't yeah. real water, um, but we were up in Kinloss, North mm-hmm. Scotland, and they have a, a smoke, fire and evacuation trainer. And although um, I was running the assessment, obviously we had to also be trained because I'm trying to get a crew of, you know, 10 people out of this um, simulator, effectively, a smoke-filled. And, um, you know, we're, so the, the idea is that you clear the exits and then you actually slide down the wing. Okay. Into the water or into a dinghy. So um, obviously as part of that, I had to learn how to do it. And I really didn't want to slide down the wing. <laughs> it was quite, even a simulator, it was quite high off the ground. Um, but then I kind of got shamed into it because, you know, there was air crew that were significantly older than I was at the time and they were just throwing themselves down it because, uh, you know, they said you either throw yourself down or you die in real life. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I probably threw myself off the wing. <laughs> nice. Um, I'd, I'd be intrigued to, th- to work out how you then wrote that up as how you use that in the future. Um, <laughs> in, on, in, you know, to enhance your... Conquering your fears. Good <laughs> <laughs> yeah, job. No, that, that's been a really fantastic insight into that. Um, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to really explain the, um, you know, not only what, what you're expecting in, in CPD quality and why that is good for people, but also what happens to it when, because these things tend to disappear. And then mm. suddenly you get the email there saying, oh, it, it's this. And so hopefully now that gives people a bit of an insight into into what goes on. Um, I'm, I want to try something new on you, if you don't mind. Um, so in that um, we... To, to finish off the interview, we I put a new section together, what I'm calling the final three. And so basically all of the guests that are going forward are going to get asked the same final three questions. Okay. So question, the first question is, what is your go-to um, book or paper or reference? And it can be technical or fiction book, if, if, if that's your one, that you keep on going back to, that you keep on using time and time again. Oh, it's a hard choice. There's quite a few. Um I would probably, and I've actually got some because I'm in my study at the moment, um, and this will show you how old I am, which is slightly worrying. Uh, This is probably number one. I don't know if you can see that. Oh, yes. This is the red book, but I think it's now uh, revamped as a blue book. So value for human work. Have you got the new one? I've got a green version somewhere. Oh, have you? Um, yeah, I'm I... sure it's dark. Well, it was a dark blue one. Maybe the green one's even newer. But that is, that is one of my um, go-to books. The oh. other one, um, which I never thought I would need, is an engineering book. Hopefully, you can see that one. Oh, Sanders okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's quite a go-to book, and probably the the one I go to time and time again. And I don't think they even make this one anymore. Is the Human Performance oh. Measures Handbook? Oh, okay. So that's for so, all our kind of human assessment type things. Yeah. So those are probably my three. I know you only asked for one, but you know you always get more. <laughs> well, that, that's true, and we, we we like the extra value for money. Um, so, <laughs> if you could go back to so question two, then uh, if you could go um, back and talk to your younger self, what mm. advice would you give yourself? Probably two things. Um, don't doubt your abilities. I'm, I'm much, very much a doubter. I, I will say I don't know when actually I probably do know. So really don't doubt that you do know what you're talking about and, and you are good at your job. And um, the second one, which uh, I'm probably, if you cut me in half, I'd have this written across my middle, is so what? 
So always ask the so what question. So, you know, if you've done a big experiment or you've done a, a, a I don't know, a literature review, ask so what? What does so what does it all mean? Um, it could either be to our professional, you know, as a, a human factors profession. Um, it could be to the the people who operate whatever product you've been involved in the design of. So in my case, it would be um, air crew. Mm-hmm. You know what? What do this? What does this data mean to the air crew? Uh, and equally, so what does it mean to the customer? Ultimately, they are the ones paying the bill at the end yeah. of the day. So you've got to be able to um, really clearly and concisely give them that message of so what does all of this mean? Yeah, cool. No, that, I think that's really. I mean, the the point about you um, sort of doubting yourself as well, that whole imposter syndrome bit. Mm. Um, um, I've got a, a huge amount of affinity with because I'm like that all of the time. Yeah. Um, uh, people, when people ask you to do, th- well, can I do that? Would I be able to do that very well? And then you know, you're right. In, you know, we've been at this long enough that yeah, of course we can. But it's um, yeah, I, I think it's if more people had you know spoke out about that, I think it'd be a really good yeah. thing. Um, so the final question then: Who would you su- suggest we interview next? Who would who would if if who would you want to listen to and, and find out more about in their HF journey? There's a couple of people that I've been um, working with um, on one of the other panels that I volunteer on. So I volunteer on the ICAO, which is the International Civil Aviation Organization. Um, they're uncrewed um, panel. So they wow. call it an RPAS panel, Remotely Piloted Aircraft Systems panel. Um, and there's a couple of guys from NASA that I've been working with. Um, really quite closely, Jay Shively and Alan Hobbs, uh, and they are still doing a lot of research work in the the uncrewed um, environment. So I think they'd be fascinating to listen to. Cool. I will try and get your uh, get the contact details from them um, yeah, sure. after we finish. Um, yeah, no, that, that that's brilliant. So so just to remind you to everybody that your CPD is to be done by the end of the year. If you hadn't got the hint uh, all the way through this, but also <laughs> a quick reminder that the next CIHF conference is uh is very much a uh, deadline that is is approaching too for short papers so on the 14th of january um you um need to get them in as well fiona i'd like to say a real massive thank you for again for your insights and and, and your thoughts around this today if anyone get, wants to get in touch with you how would they do that i uh, just look me up on linkedin i think Perfect. i'm the only one occasion Perfect. We'll make sure that uh, Fiona's LinkedIn details are on the 1202 website under the under the episode. So just a reminder that if you're finding, um, listening and finding the content useful or even, God forbid, even enjoying it, then please do tell your friends and colleagues. Help them find us and because nothing is as good as your own personal recommendation. We always do things um, that, that are recommended to us by friends. But also leaving us a review on your podcast uh, directory of choice and maybe even a, a bit of a five-star rating would be really helpful. But that would all go a long way to helping those who are interested in human factors and ergonomics, maybe even on the periphery, to help find us in the directory. So it only remains for me to say thank you for listening and to see you on that next episode. Thank you for listening to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions and comments. You can contact us on social media such as Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook at 1202 Podcast. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.